The following message entitled, Strong Faith Through Hard Times, part 10 of the series, In Light of His Coming, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 23rd of June, 2013, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace. So I want to welcome you also if this is your first Sunday or if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, thank you for coming. Great to have you here this morning. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We're really honored to have you. We are in the book of... We finished 1 Thessalonians and we are going to continue this series this morning by beginning with 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 because Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians shortly after he wrote 1 Thessalonians and carries through some of the same themes. And 2 Thessalonians is a short book, so we just thought we would continue. makes sense to go through the books together. This morning's message is called Strong Faith Through Hard Times. Strong Faith Through Hard Times. People persevere in life by looking to the future. Athletes, think, think about this. Athletes, and I should know because I am such an athlete. Athletes, athletes persevere through months and years of rigorous training because they're looking forward to victory or recognition or a medal or a Super Bowl trophy. College students persevere through difficult classes and hundreds of hours of homework because they look ahead to a career or job or money. People endure surgeries and hospitals and extended periods of chemotherapy or many months of taking medications because of a hope for health in the future. Many of, many of you have persevered through painful treatments and surgeries because of a hope to get well down the road. If there were no hope to get well, there would be no reason to endure. And much more importantly than all these illustrations, we persevere in our Christian faith by looking forward to the future. We have God's promise in His Word that if we trust Him, someday we will be with Him in heaven. All wrongs will be righted. All suffering will be gone. All tears wiped away. In His presence, we will know fullness of joy for eternity. If there were no heaven for us to look forward to, then our persevering through suffering would be pointless. Why, why should we persevere as Christians? Why should we persevere in our faith through suffering if there is no hope of righteousness being made, made everything being made right and the end of suffering in heaven? And in our passage this morning, God encourages us to remain steadfast in our faith and love despite persecutions and afflictions. And the way we remain steadfast in our faith and love 
is by looking forward to Jesus' return. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start at verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for these books we've been studying. Thessalonians First and Second Thessalonians. We thank You for the reminder that You are going to return someday and that all that we go through here as believers will be worth it. Lord, thank You that this is the truth. Thank You that You have given us hope. It's not a vain hope, but a, a true hope that You have given us, Lord. We thank You for it. And we pray this morning, Lord, that Your Word would give us hope that Your Word would strengthen us and encourage us that we might persevere to the end, Lord, so that You would be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. So what this is saying is that we who believe in Jesus must persevere to the end in our faith and love we must persevere in our faith and love looking forward to the coming of Jesus. To most people in the world, and I'm talking about non-Christians, think about this. Suffering is meaningless and should be avoided at all costs. I'm sure that people in the world would say, yeah, it makes you tougher and what, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. But 
Overall, think about this. To, to most people, what would be the point of suffering? It's meaningless. It should be avoided. To the world, there's no point. To Christians, however, suffering is not meaningless and pointless. Now, that doesn't mean we believe that suffering in itself is good. We don't believe that. We, we, we aren't lovers of pain. I don't, I don't look to get hurt. I don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I hope I get hurt today bad. I hope I smash my head into something or stub my toe and it just really hurts. Now, I, I don't like pain. I don't want pain in my life. But uh, pain, suffering, we know that suffering in itself is not good. It is a result of sin. God's original creation... Think about this. His original creation did not include suffering, pain, and death. There was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. There was no death. There was no pain. But sin brought death and disease, war and every evil into the earth. It is sin that has caused pain. Jesus, however, came to rescue us from sin and its consequences. So for all who turn wholeheartedly to Jesus, He forgives our sins. He washes us clean of our sins. And someday, He will banish suffering and death and all the consequences of sin from our lives. Right now, we live in a world that is suffering under the consequences of sin. Our own sin and others' sin. Someday though, Jesus will remove that for believers. But for now, God promises that all of His children will have to endure suffering and affliction. But it is not pointless. It is not meaningless. We know that Jesus is in control as we sang this morning. We know that He works out His purposes in us through affliction. God has many purposes for suffering, but one of His main purposes is to form the character of Jesus Christ in us. He is forming the character of Jesus Christ in us. And someday, the glory of Jesus Christ will shine through us and be seen in us. And in this passage, we'll see that this morning, God tells us this is a reason to persevere because we're looking forward to that day when the glory of Jesus shines through every one of us. And we'll marvel. And we'll marvel at Jesus. And we'll marvel at His glory and His beauty. And we'll marvel at His creation of the new heavens and a new earth. So for right now, it is critical that we continue to persevere and we continue to grow in our faith and our love for one another. And so in verse 3, Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Oh man, I would love to get a letter from Paul like that about our church. And I would say, I would say that, that that does talk about our church. Because I, I do see your faith increasing. And I see your love for one another increasing. 
But I just say, oh Lord, would that be said about our church? Would that be said about me? Would that be said about every one of us? That our faith is increasing in Jesus, in God. That our love, every one of you for one another. Not a single person left out. Not a single person failing to love others. Oh, that, that is what I pray for this church and I, I know God is doing that in us. And Paul says, we thank God that that's happening in you guys, Thessalonians. He, he had been concerned about their faith. He had been worried about it. He had been afraid that perhaps the afflictions and persecutions they were going through would cause them to abandon the faith. And then he had sent Timothy, who had returned and said, their faith is growing, their love is increasing, and Paul gives thanks for that. Now when it says their faith is growing abundantly, that word means vigorous growth. And it was growing abundantly despite the fact that the Thessalonians were suffering bad affliction and persecution from Jews and other non-believers. The harder things got for them, the more vigorous their faith grew. It, it seems like it should have been the opposite. You know, it, it seems like the worse things get, the more people should, are tempted. I mean, this is true. The, the worse trials we go through at times, we're tempted to believe that God has forsaken us. We're tempted to abandon our faith. We're tempted to give up on God. But that's not what was happening there. Now, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus told a parable about a sower and seed. And He said there was a group of people, and I'll read it, Mark 4, verse 3 and following. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And then later, the disciples say, Jesus, what, what did that mean? Tell us what that meant. And so He explains about the ones who were the seed sown on rocky ground. He said, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, Immediately they fall away. So what this is saying is this. If we endure, if we persevere, if our faith continues to grow in the midst of persecution, that is evidence that we have a true faith. That is evidence that we are genuinely born again. Because Jesus said that when persecution comes and then they fall away, that's evidence that the Word of God had not taken root. They were not truly born again. They had had an initial sort of joyful response, but they were not genuinely saved. And so the Thessalonians, when Paul hears that they are growing in faith despite perseverance, he's saying, thank You, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. 
Thank You that they are genuinely born again. Your Word has taken root. Thank You that You are producing this life in them. You are producing this faith in them. So, if you are suffering, and I know many of you are, and yet you are still following Jesus, that should encourage you. That should encourage you. Your faith is real. Because it doesn't make sense. You're trusting God and it's getting worse for you. You're trusting God and you're suffering. It wouldn't make sense to someone in the world. You have faith because you are genuinely born again. If you're still following Jesus in your suffering, that is proof that God is at work in you because that's not the natural response. Now, whenever we study the Word and preach it, our our first desire is to apply it to ourselves. So as I was studying this, I I was challenged myself. And I, I asked myself, is my faith growing vigorously? Because that's what Paul rejoiced. That their faith was growing. And we're all going to go through suffering. And if you're suffering right now, maybe you feel like I'm just barely hanging on. Maybe, maybe I'm just clinging with every last bit of strength I have to a, a thread of faith. But if you're doing that, you may not know it, but your faith is getting stronger. Think about it. What makes us physically stronger? Is, do we get stronger by just sitting on the couch, watching TV, eating ice cream? Just easy life. Does an easy life just make our bodies stronger? Oh, you know what? I haven't done a bit of exercise in 10 years. I think my muscles are actually in pretty good shape. No. We, we get stronger when there's resistance. That's... That's the whole idea behind weightlifting. Trust me, I know this. It's the whole, it's the whole idea. <laughs> it's, it's the resistance. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's being opposed that makes us stronger. And it's the same way with our faith. The only way for our faith to grow is to have resistance. Paul was concerned, but he was happy because the Thessalonians' faith was growing. So I just ask you, ask yourself this question. Is my faith growing? Am I seeking God more for faith? Am I I trying to pursue God more? Now, the Thessalonians had people in the church who were weak in the faith because 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul said, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there were those in Thessalonica who were faint-hearted and weak in their faith. And they needed to be encouraged by others. And yet Paul says, your faith is growing. And he's including the weak ones. Now we need each other. I need you to help me with my faith. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to remind one another of God's promises. We need to sing about God's faithfulness like we did this morning. That's how we we strengthen the the faint-hearted and help the weak. And our faith grows. But I want to ask you this. What are you doing to feed your faith? See, we we can strengthen our faith. We can increase our faith. 
Here's the primary way right here. Are you reading the Bible on a regular basis? Are you taking in Scripture? Are you taking in God's Word on a regular basis? Do you want to have strong faith? This is what you need. Our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It is God's Word that gives us faith. It is in God's Word that we read, I will never forsake you or leave you. So, if we haven't read, I will never leave you or forsake you, how are we going to call that to mind in the middle of a trial? So we need to feed our faith by God's Word. We need to pray. We need to ask God, Lord, give me more faith. See, God, God's will is that our faith be increasing and, and, and vigorous. And if you feel like, man, my faith is not very vigorous, well... You may be weak. You may be faint-hearted. But you can feed your faith. You can increase in faith. You can pray. The, the disciples at one time, they, they prayed, Lord, increase our faith. We just ask God, Lord, help me. Convince me more that You are going to be faithful to me. Strengthen me, Lord. Help me. Read, read the Word. It says, Paul says, their love was increasing. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. See, love flows out of faith. When we believe in Jesus, when we believe that He has washed away our sins, that we are loved by God, then we love others. We love because He first loved us, the Bible says. It's, it's an outflow. And so their faith was increasing. And he says the love of every one of you is increasing. Everyone's loving others. And this is God's will for us. And so, just this first sentence, I'm just saying, Lord, I want Your love for the saints to be increasing in me. I want our church to be growing this way. And not just for a little while, but till the end. And so Paul says it's critical that we persevere in our faith. And so in verse 4 he says, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions you are enduring. Paul commends them. He says, despite all that you are going through, you are remaining steadfast. See, it wouldn't matter in a race if a horse came busting out of the opening gate, the starting gate, the horse comes busting out, streaks ahead of everybody else, and then halfway through the race falls down, caves in, and doesn't finish the race. The, how, how we start the race doesn't matter so much as how we finish. And Paul says, you've got to be steadfast and endure to the end. It's critical that we persevere in our faith. And Paul says, you guys are suffering a lot. You are remaining steadfast through all kinds of persecutions. And we, Paul says, we use what you're going through, your steadfastness, to encourage others. He says, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith. In other words, Paul's going into other churches and, and they're suffering and he's saying, don't give up. Look what the Thessalonians are doing. Look how they're suffering and look at their faith. Don't give up. This is a, this is a principle of God's Word that He uses 
our perseverance and our seeking of Him and our receiving of comfort from Him in afflictions to encourage others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3-7, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So what Paul is saying is this. Paul says, I'm being afflicted in many ways. And in my affliction, I seek God and He comforts me. And I receive this comfort from God that I can now go to others who are suffering and say, God is faithful and He's going to help you too. He helped me. I was really suffering and God helped me and I know He's going to help you. Isn't it true that when you're going through a tough time, I mean, I, I, I appreciate anybody encouraging me when I'm going through a hard time, but if it's someone who's been through what I'm going through, is, doesn't that comfort mean a lot more? If, if someone has been through it and found grace from God, they can really comfort others. And so you may say, what is the point of this, this hard time I'm going through? Well, one of the points might be that down the road, God is going to use you to give faith to others. Your, your suffering is not meaningless. God, God will use you to encourage others. That's where, why Paul says, hey, Thessalonians, we, we encourage others through what you're going through. And they see that God is being faithful to you and God is sustaining you and it gives them hope that God will sustain them. So if you're suffering, persevere. You may feel like quitting you may someday comfort others and encourage others. God, I, God doesn't waste our suffering. God doesn't take any pleasure in our pain. God doesn't get any joy out of seeing us in pain. But He does not waste it. And He will use it for His glory. Now we persevere as we look forward to Jesus' second coming. And so, he says in verse 7 and 8, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, it's the Lord Jesus who will return. He's not going to send angels for us. He's coming Himself. I can't imagine what that is going to be like when He's revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. Jesus, it says the Lord Jesus, the Sovereign One, the Ruler over all, the Lord. Jesus is in control of all history and all events. King of kings, Lord of lords, 
ruler over the whole universe. You may feel like your life is in control of others. You, you might feel like your boss has control over your life. You might feel like our government has control over our life. Well, we are affected by other people. We are affected by the government. But ultimately, who is in control? Jesus. And He's going to come back someday. The Lord Jesus. And He'll be revealed from heaven. This means He is at the highest place. He is at the right hand of God, enthroned in power. He will come with His mighty angels. His angels get all their might from Him. And He will come to vanquish all His enemies. He will come in flaming fire. In the Old Testament, fire always signified the presence and glory of the Lord. The burning bush where He appeared to Moses. Fire, God's presence. A pillar of fire led Israel through the desert. The presence of God. The Holy Spirit descended with tongues of fire showing God's presence and glory. Well, He's going to come back with His mighty angels in flaming fire. The presence of God. And He's going to come to bring righteous judgment. And this is what gives us hope. This is why we've got to persevere. Verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What, what does he mean here? This, he means their steadfastness under suffering, they're following God, wicked people are persecuting them because of it, and yet they're not taking revenge, they're not striking back, they don't curse those who afflict them, and this shows when God comes back this shows that God is just when He counts believers worthy of the kingdom of God. Now they aren't worthy because of their good deeds. They have been declared worthy through the blood of Jesus. But their perseverance demonstrates that God has made them worthy of the kingdom of God. God has transformed them and their perseverance demonstrates that. And when we persevere under affliction, that demonstrates that God is righteous to judge the wicked. No one can question God. In verse 6 it says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. No one's going to say God is unjust for punishing those who have persecuted Christians. And so God is demonstrating His justice. And how do we endure? By looking ahead to God's righteous judgment. Now, now when, when we are persecuted, we are tempted to want to take revenge. Revenge is us seeking to execute justice on our own behalf. It could be, it could be anything. I, I've been tempted to take revenge. I've been, I've been tempted... At times, it could be just a, a, a minor thing. I remember one time, I'm, parked, I'm, I'm waiting at a red light up by the Regency Mall, and, and the light turns green, and the person ahead of me is just sitting there, and sitting there, and sitting there. And I'm being very patient. You know, I'm not a New Jersey driver where I just lay on the horn, and the 
second it turns. I'm wait. Sorry if you're from New Jersey. I'm I'm waiting up there. I'm just being patient. Well, after a, after a while, the person just sitting there, I just go, just let them know. Just beep. You know, I'm not laying on the horn. You know, I'm just just a little beep. You know, lights green. Beep. Well, immediately they give me an obscene gesture. You know, that's hardly persecution. But I'm tempted. I'm tempted to take revenge. I just feel like gunning it and smashing into the back of their car. You know, there there have been other times someone has said something to me, unkind or whatever, and I'm tempted to want to say something back. But God says, don't ever take vengeance of any kind if you believe in Jesus, because He did not do that when He hung on the cross. It says in 1 Peter 2.23, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. And that's what we have to do. When we are sinned against, when, when we're persecuted, we are not to take revenge, but we are to entrust ourselves to Him who judges justly. And when Jesus comes back, He will take care of all that's been wrong. He will right every wrong. He will bring perfect justice about. He says, He will repay with affliction those who afflict you. All through history, wicked rulers have persecuted Christians. And non-Christians have persecuted Christians. I mean, think about Nero. Nero persecuting the Christians. All through history, rulers have persecuted Christians. Hitler did. Hitler did not merely persecute the Jews. He also persecuted Christians. The presidents of North Korea, horrible persecution of Christians. Right now, there are Christian brothers and sisters in North Korean labor camps suffering. And Jesus, Jesus says, I will pay them back. Some of you though, you may have a, a, a wicked boss or co-workers or neighbors or relatives and they are just making your life miserable. Well, you are not to take revenge, but to entrust Jesus. He will pay them back. There are, there are some folks that I regularly pray Lord, please forgive them for what they have done to me. I just pray you'd have mercy on them. I pray you'd save them. I don't, I don't want to see them go to hell. But I'm just trusting God instead of me doing what I feel like doing. Jesus will judge all who reject His heavenly offer of the Gospel. He says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Now, when it says those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel, it means those who willfully do not know God. See, no one, is going to be, no one is going to be in hell and say, I, I didn't know. I would have followed you if I'd have known. No, it is a willful rejection of God that all of us have done in our lives. Romans chapter 1, 18-23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what this says is that in their hearts, in every human being's heart, deep down, they know there's a God. People say, well, what about people who've never heard the Gospel? Well, somehow they can at least see by the creation that there is a God. I heard a, a testimony. I saw a man on television say he grew up in India and he had never heard of Jesus Christ. He never heard of the true God. And he would go to the, the temple, the pagan temple, and he said it just didn't seem real to him. He just felt like there had to be more. And so one day he walked behind the temple and he said this prayer, God, the God of heaven, if it, I, I know there must be more, please show yourself to me. And he said a couple weeks later, a missionary came through his town and put a Bible in his hands and he learned about Jesus and he was saved. He knew there was a, a God that wasn't the gods that everyone else was worshiping. And so the Bible says when unbelievers don't know God, it is a willful un. It is a willful not knowing of God. They are suppressing the truth. And it says God will punish those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, the gospel is the good news of all that God lost, where He took the sins of all who would ever turn, turn to Him upon Himself and paid for those sins. Then He rose from the dead. And all who call upon Him can receive forgiveness of their sins. That's the gracious invitation God gives to all men. And yet it says, we have to obey the Gospel. We have to receive Jesus. We have to believe in Him. We have to turn from our sins. He holds out this gracious invitation. And what this is saying is the Gospel is the final word. There is no second chance. If we reject Jesus' invitation, there's no hope. I was just thinking this morning about John Lennon. You know, I, I, I was always a Beatle fan. I still like the Beatles. But John Lennon, I remember when he was shot. I remember, I just remember feeling, every now and then I think about him. And I think about the song he wrote, Imagine. He would sing it, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. And I just think, oh, unless God did something in His final moments, which is always possible, I don't know. Unless God did something, where is He today? Where has He been all these years? 
Here's what it says, verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Eternal destruction. That's the opposite of eternal life. Which believers have. And it's not just unending destruction because eternal life doesn't just mean unending life. Eternal life is a quality of life that we will have with Jesus forever. So eternal destruction is the quality of this destruction that people who reject Jesus will experience forever. And it says, away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. There will be nothing of God in hell. If I had more time, I would, I would develop this more, but no relief, no mercy, no joy, no light, no songs, no color, no beauty, no peace, no rest. Hell will have nothing of God or goodness in it. Only eternal pain, terror, regret, sadness, misery, guilt, complete isolation, loneliness, every bad thing you can think of in this world increasing for all eternity. So, if you have not turned to Jesus, turn to Him. Call upon Him. Don't reject His invitation. Now here's what, here's what awaits believers. He says, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Relief. Relief. Like we have never known. I tell you what, I don't know if it's, it's me, but this winter seemed longer than other winters. It seemed colder. And I was just thinking, oh, spring, what a relief spring is. What a relief to me it is. Well, it is nothing compared to the relief we will have in heaven. Relief from every trial. Relief from all temptation to sin. Relief from all suffering. Joy. Peace. No more labor. No more need to persevere. No more temptation. No more cares of this life. No more worrying about kids, grandkids. No more pressure, stress. Oh, talk about relief. <laughs> but not just relief. Marveling. Marveling. Verse 10, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. When He says glorified in His saints, that means we will share His glory. The glory of Jesus will be shining through us and we will marvel at the glory of Jesus shining through each of us. I can't imagine what that's going to be like, but, but it says in the Bible our resurrection bodies, are, the bodies that we will have will be as different from these bodies as a full-blown tree to an acorn. We will marvel. I, I'll look at Tim McKelvey and I'll see the glory of Jesus shining through him in a way I can't now. I do see it now. I do see the glory of Jesus. But it's going to be incredible. C.S. Lewis says, if we were to see each other the way we're going to look in heaven, if we saw each other now, we'd be tempted to worship one another. At the glory of Jesus shining through us. And we will see, and we will marvel at Jesus. We will, he will be marveled at among all who have believed. We will marvel at the beauty and the glory of Jesus. 
And we will marvel at His power. And we will marvel at all He's done in our lives. And we will marvel as we talk about His faithfulness. And we will marvel at the new heavens and the new earth He creates. And with all this in view, Paul prays. He says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling, may fulfill you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says is, I'm praying that in light of the coming of Jesus, in light of what we're looking forward to, that you will work hard for Jesus. That you'll keep persevering. That you'll make resolves for Jesus. To do things for Jesus. And bless others and serve others. And that God will fulfill that for His glory. And so that's what we pray. Knowing that Jesus would return, they were to persevere and continue to grow in faith and love. Let's have the band come up and let's stand and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You have rescued us. And that we will not be banished from Your presence. Oh Lord, thank You. Thank You for the blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. Lord, fill us with joy. And I especially pray, Lord, for all those who suffer in this church and are suffering right now. You would give them just fresh hope today. Lord, we look forward to the day You return. We look forward to the relief. We look forward to the marveling. And Lord, we just pray that anyone here who has not turned to You, Lord, You would, you would enable them to do that, Jesus. Give them the grace to turn to You right now and escape Your wrath. Lord, fill us with joy as we sing. In Jesus' name, Amen.